Uh, my webcam is connected using a USB 3.0 input, by the way. No big deal. Yeah, no, I mean, I saw that. I, I was a little confused by that particular exchange, by the way. Uh, I don't know what was confusing to you. No, listen, when I need tech support, clearly the most obvious and bestest way to get it is to send mass texts to my 10 best friends ad nauseum until one of them, perhaps out of sheer exasperation, chooses to respond and say, Cody, download the drivers. You don't need to buy hardware. I think it would have been far funnier had you gone out and bought some sort of expensive thing to try and fix your USB 3 ports when you didn't have the drivers installed on your computer. Welcome to Game Life Balance US, a lifestyle podcast about how to be a grown-up gamer and still go to work and get sleep. With your hosts, Cody Goff, Hello, here's hell. And Jonathan Martin. You're going to be my meat in my Jonathan sandwich. Check out our website at gamelifebalance.us, where you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, YouTube, and more. I'm Adam from the Digital Suit Podcast, a proud member of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other podcasts at gunnageek.com and get ready because geekiness begins in three, two, one. buy expensive computer things i order them from amazon when they are cheap and cheap is the name of the game here at game life balance us the free podcast you're about to listen to in which i cody goff talk to jonathan martin about super Metroid. why did you say it like that i don't know It was, it was creepy. It was really kind of gross. It's a good question. We're um, yeah, we've been going through we've been going through the library of SNES classic games over the past couple of episodes, taking user user requests basically in terms of they nominate a game. We pick a game, and uh, one of the games nominated the last time was Super Metroid, and so we we rolled the dice and we got it for this episode, and we were both very excited, very yes. excited because we yes. both had very fond memories of this game. Yeah, absolutely. We are both young millennial whippersnappers. We played this game when it was... We, are, we are old millennial whippersnappers. We're yeah, on the front end of the millennial movement. Sure, sure. So we owned this game as children. This is us returning to it. And as the title of our podcast suggests, Game Life Balance, we'll talk about uh, where it fits in adult life, where it fits in kid life, how it's aged. Has it aged well? Has it aged like a fine wine? Or has it aged like whiskey? I guess whiskey... It either loses alcohol content or it loses flavor. It gains barrels. No, it gains barrels. Is that what happens? The more barrels that it has, the better the whiskey. What if it does a barrel roll? What if that happens? Generally, it then has to try a somersault. Okay. What if it uses the boost to get through? Uh, Fox, that was one of ours. Andros's enemy is my enemy. (laughs) So one of the things... I can't go on. So one of the things... That I was thinking about before we even start talking about Super Metroid is, you know, this this genre of game, which is now colloquially known as Metroidvania, right? Mm-hmm. Which is which is a a uh, a decoupage, a decoupage, or a decoupage of, portmanteau of, decoupage. Uh, take your pick. Right 
of a Metroid of Metroid and Castlevania. Um, there, there are a lot of games in this style, and it's really crazy to think that before Super Metroid, this style of game kind of didn't exist, right? Yeah, like what, what you can you mean? go on Steam. You can go on Steam, and I would. I, th- this is just obviously a a complete guess, but I would guess that there's probably over two, maybe three hundred Metroidvania games that you could probably download of a variety of qualities, and that's just on Steam, and not including any of the other consoles that came after Super Metroid and. Castlevania Symphony of the Night were created. There right? are 199 on Steam. I was really... Cl- that's impressive. I honestly didn't look that up. I was pretty close with my yeah. first guess. That's a lot of games. And that is just on the PC platform. Right? That doesn't include any of the other of the other games on any other platform. So it, it's a genre that once it was created, once, once Nintendo kind of unleashed that Pandora's box after this game, they couldn't put it back. It really... It really created a completely new form of video game when mm-hmm. they made it. So, listener, you need to keep that in mind. You need to keep that particular aspect of this game in mind because the the historical context of this game I don't think can be understated or can be overstated. It's in it is one of the it is arguably one of the most important games that came out of the of that era of video games. Yeah, I I think that's that's fair to say. It was released, for a little background, it was released for the Super Nintendo in 1994. It was the third game in the Metroid series. It was Metroid on the Nintendo Entertainment System, which was a... Did you grow up playing that at all? Interesting story about the original Metroid. I did not play it. My parents played it, and they never played video games. But I watched my parents play through Metroid, and I was very upset after they beat Mother Brain and could not escape from the vertical tunnel, <laughs> I, I was I was probably five or six years old, and I remember I don't remember this, but I remember my mom telling me this that I sat there crying because the world exploded while they were trying to escape after beating Mother Brain. Wow, that was my experience with the original Metroid, and my parents did not play video games at all. That is incredible. Yeah, super weird. Yeah, well, I didn't play it much. It was extremely hard, especially for kids. I mean, just no map. You ran around. I mean, Metroid was the original Metroidvania game. But yeah, it wasn't as good. It just it it didn't iterate on it. It didn't it didn't it wasn't the full package at all. Like there were things that just they couldn't put in it because of of limitations of the system. They couldn't include a map system. Yeah, there, it just, it, there it wasn't just, that capability. It didn't work. So there's Metroid, and then there's Metroid Two: Return of Samus on the Game Boy, and then Super Metroid was almost canceled three times. It really didn't. It practically didn't see the light of day. They just Nintendo just was like, "This isn't going to sell well. It's not going to be great." And boy, it did real good. Sold a lot of copies. Critical acclaim. My question: We've been like focusing on kind of, I think thesis questions on this podcast and my question and i'll 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 let you talk about it because you have notes and you have lots of specific things to say but i want to umbrella the conversation with the question is super metroid a perfect video game and i think it is yeah and my answer is almost 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 in the sense that it's almost a perfect game or almost in the sense that there's no such thing as a perfect game 
but this is as close as it can come. I haven't thought about what I would consider a perfect game to be. Like, do you know of any perfect video games off the top of your head? Dark Souls comes to mind. Really? As a game that, yeah, as a game that could, that could be considered a perfect video game. Um, yeah, that's crazy, but that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Interesting. Maybe Link to the Past. It's another one that comes to my mind. Yeah, there's. I think there's a maybe a handful from this era, but I, I just, playing through this game, I just, I think it is absolutely the perfect game. And yeah. uh, the, the strange thing about it is that I was reading up on some of the development of this game. There's six kind of main areas that you go around, Brinstar, Norfair, Tori and Meridia, other ones. Probably. I don't even remember Tori. There's the pirate ship and then there's... Uh, Torian is Mother Brain's area. It's like three screens. It's three screens, yeah. And then there's there's the pirate ship and... Criteria. Criteria, sure. Burnstar, Norfair, Meridia, the ship, and Torian. Anyway, there's a, there's a few areas. Uh, supposedly, right. during development, the developers had created each of these areas pretty much on their own and then basically kind of scotch taped them together. And it wasn't until a month before the game was released that they finalized the way that those different areas actually interconnect with one another, which is insane to me. It is, it is, but then if you step back and think about it, there are very clear delineations between the areas. They generally do not flow into one another. Oh, sure. I think there's only there's only two or three kind of shortcuts that you unlock that are a smooth transition, that are not like a hard break to an elevator or... Um, a room with like a completely different texture set that you then move into through like a hallway and then you're in like the new area. So I think I think that actually makes a lot of sense when you step back and think about the way that the game is structured. It could be. But uh, yeah, I, I just, I enjoyed this thoroughly significantly more than any other SNES classic experience I think we've had. And I I could literally go in my living room and replay the whole thing right now. It just It just holds up. Yeah, we can get into it. So um, I think the, f- the first thing about this game that is, that is the m- most important thing to me, and it's the thing that I think of when I think of Metroid games, is the sense of isolation in, in Metroid games. In the, in the best Metroid games, and I did not play other M, but by all accounts, it was not a good Metroid game. It was all right. When I think of Metroid games, though, specifically this one and Metroid Prime, it really feels like Samus is just dropped in a place and it really feels like she is completely on her own and there's a sense of there's like there's there's always a sense of I have to do this completely by myself like there is no there is no buddy that is going to come here and rescue me there's no assist button to call on anything I mean it is it is all Samus doing it all for herself and that is conveyed through the visuals of Metroid games Everything is generally pretty dark and bleak. Through the music, um, most Metroid games have a pretty dark, um, slightly maybe Electronica-style soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and, And, like, all of those kind of feed towards that idea of isolation that I think that's what Metroid is completely about, right? And I love that. I love that because there are... They do that without any type of exposition the, you get you get two screens of exposition at the start of this game of text two of them and that's it and then there is no more text other than the text of what an upgrade is when you when you pick it up for the rest of the game 
There's no picking up logs. There's no dialogue with anybody. Everything is just kind of experiential storytelling. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful. And, and it's, it's done really it's done really well. So well done. I mean, you are able so many of the little screen there's so many moments in this game that just tell a story. Almost every room in this game tells a story. Whether you're running across a bridge that's collapsing or or little creatures are showing you how to move. I mean, there are the little creatures, but they they're certainly not No, and know. I'll talk about them actually because they're oh, all right. they're an important part they're an important part of uh, of another way. In fact, what I just said kind of feeds into those little creatures, right? So over the course of the game, Samus, you'll find yourself in an area where it'll it'll feel impassable. This happens just a couple of times in the game. Um, there's two that come to mind immediately. The first is when you learn how to shine spark. So there is a there's a an ability in the game called shine sparking, which you use your super running ability. You crouch down and then you jump up and you fly to the top of the screen of whatever screen that you are in as far as you can go until you hit the ceiling. I like to say you harness all of your kinetic energy and then release it in a controlled movement in a single direction. Sure. Or horizontal. So the way that you discover this, and I, I, to be honest, I didn't even remember you could do this until I fell down and discovered this again. But you fall into a pit on accident and the pit is very long and you have no idea how you're going to get back up this pit. So you go a couple screens over to the left and there's a creature there that is um, indigenous to the planet and it's just kind of running around in the background. You can't interact with it at all, but you watch it run and it gets shadows behind it just like you do when you're running really fast. And then you see it duck down and start to shine a little bit and then it jumps up in the air and goes flying super high. And they just—that's all they show you. They just show you that with, a, with a, again, a creature that is just part of the planet. And you say to yourself immediately, "Oh, that creature was running really fast, stuck down, and then jumped up really high. I bet I can do that." And so you go over into the room where you need to jump that far vertically, and you do exactly what it shows. And it doesn't give you any instruction. Doesn't give you any controls. Nothing. You just run. You duck. You start shining, and you jump. And suddenly, you are—you are free. You are you jump up the entire pit and are at the top of the of the area, and it's beautiful, right? They don't have to tell you anything; they just show you with another creature. With a creature, another moment happens when you learn how to wall jump, or where they try to teach you how to wall jump. Wall jumping in this game is my one little quibble about the game, but they teach you how to wall jump. And again, you fall down a pit, and you're in an area where you can't gather enough speed to do a shine spark. What well, shows up, another, like, it's like a raccoon creature or something, and you see it jumping from wall to wall over a pit. You're like, what the heck is it doing? And so you jump up, and you're like, oh, I, I wonder if I can do this. And I don't know, you have to mess around with the controls a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, like, you say, oh, I can wall jump too. And then you say, oh, if I can wall jump here, where else can I wall jump, right? Or if I can shine spark here, where else can I sh- shine spark? And, like, what else can I discover when I do that? And that happens all over in this game. Mm-hmm. All over the place. So it, the big thing, the big point for that for me is it's a, it is a show-don't-tell game. It tells you nothing. It never has to tell you anything. It never has to use, use exposition 
it, it never has to use like text as exposition for anything. It is all based on what it shows you in the game and your own sense of self-exploration. Yeah, completely. And once you discover stuff, you realize you can dis- you can you can go through the game again. I mean, the replayability is is just ridiculous. The replayability because I got I got eighty one percent of the items in the game. What were yep. you at? Sixty four percent when I. Finished. Oh wow! You just blew through it, didn't you? I didn't just blow through it. I didn't remember the game. I like I didn't remember the game nearly as well as you because I didn't this watch was you stream. So weird. I did watch you stream some of it, and there were there were plenty of power ups that you just immediately got to that I did I never even found because I I didn't know they were there, um, but I didn't remember the game. It would have taken a lot more exploration for me to to find more stuff. Yeah, no, and I, I thought that was weird too. I mean, because yeah, you watched it, and again, I streamed the first hour or so of gameplay, if not more, of all of the SNES Classic games on our Twitch channel at Game Life Balance. And yeah, you saw it. It was just like, oh yeah, the, there's a missile tank in that wall. Like I just, it was. I don't know why I remembered that stuff either, because I know I borrowed the game from you when we were little. So I only beat it a few times. You owned it, but I don't know. Maybe yeah, I don't think I had. I don't think when I was younger, I had as much of an affinity for it as I did when I grew a little older. And I just hadn't I hadn't played it as many times. Or you weren't as bored. That could be too. Um, they they do a lot of points of no return in this game that I really appreciate. I really like that design. So I already just set a couple of them where you have to learn how to use one of these abilities to to then get out of that situation. But there's way more frequently used enter a room and something happens and you can't and you may unlock this giant area of maybe 20 screens that'll lead you to one upgrade but you'll enter like a room and you'll turn around and realize I can't go back like something is barring my path from going back from going back whether it be like a grapple point where you need the grapple beam whether it be a door that requires like the plasma beam when you go into that plasma beam room whether whether the door shuts and it's oh it's a power bomb door and I don't have the power bombs. I need to find them somewhere now, or I can't go back. I like I love that. I because there's a there's like a sense of there's like a feeling of desperation and dread when you enter there and say, oh, I, I don't know where like the next save point is. I can't go back for that. So that's another thing that gets used frequently, and I think to great effect in this game. Yeah, the game conveys emotion using 16-bit graphics in a way that was is just so ridiculously far ahead of its time i mean when you run into the big metroid near the end you're first entering rooms where giant creatures are turned into sand so you get the sense of foreboding and there's mystery there's mystery kind of everywhere yeah for sure there's there's always just a little thing and a little piece of foreshadowing maybe it's when phanto appears there's a bunch of blue flame before well, even it just, pops up even just the moment when you go into the the crashed sp- space pirate ship and nothing is working all the doors are closed, uh, and you can't open them. There's no power to anything. The save point that you find isn't working because it's not powered. Yes, like that stuff. That stuff is like, what is going on here? This is completely different than like anything else. And I'll talk about that in a minute too. <laughs> so yeah, it just like there's there's envir- like it's environmental storytelling, which is something that gets talked about in video games all the time now, but it wasn't a thing. And so that's the thing that you have to remember is that it's a common, it is a commonly used method to create games now. It just, it wasn't. It wasn't before. So this is the, one of the first games that did it. And it did it so well. 
right? It wrote like it wrote the book on it. So um, again, the historical the historical uh, importance of this game to the rest of video games that came after it is huge. Yeah, now, and other things that many things were in no games before that. The mini map. Yeah, I don't. How many games had a mini map? They probably existed, but this this was a pretty darn functional one. I mean, it was pretty it was pretty good for its time. Yeah, very good for its time. I mean, maybe a Mario Kart or something, if even. But yeah, mini maps weren't really a thing. I mean, just the ability to scroll around the map, and it, it's a pretty useful map, but it's not modern day useful. Where it shows every doorway in between rooms, it just shows you the rooms. But you don't actually know where the access points to those rooms are, which I think is a strength and a weakness to the game because it, it's so well balanced that way. You know, if you've got a map that shows you every access point, like in a lot of modern you games... You kind of know right where to go when you get upgrades yeah, and things. Yeah, exactly. So this way you've got a map so that it's not like the original Metroid where you're just like, this is a giant world. You don't have to draw on graph paper to see where you're going. It does that step for you, but you still do have to rely on your memory a little bit, which is why I think it's like the perfect balance of difficulty because it doesn't give you everything at any point in the game, but it gives you just enough to kind of keep you going and it rewards you when you've got a really good memory or you're paying really good attention to something or you know what to go back to. I think you may be overselling the map. I don't think... I think it still had many weaknesses in this game still. Maps since then have done better jobs. I think the... I think what what you would like the most and I think what is probably the best example of an in-game map is actually um, the Etrian Odyssey series for the DS... Because it auto-maps for you while you're exploring somewhere, but you annotate the map yourself with a variety of symbols. Whatever symbols you want, it gives you a huge suite of symbols to use, but you can annotate those. And there, there's a lot of information on this map where if I could just make a note of it somewhere, it would be far more functional. I don't I like I don't need to annotate every door. I don't need to say this is a blue door, this is a red door, but it would be really nice to say, "Hey, this hallway over here, this was the hallway that you needed the grapple beam for. This is the hallway that you needed the speed boost for." You know, like just be able to to put like a symbol or something on the map for that that if if even if I just was the one with control over that. Now that there was no way to make that work at this point of time, I'm sure. There was no way to program that to make that work when this game was made. But, but I would argue that the game has aged exceptionally well because yes. that would make it too easy, right? And I don't think that the inability to annotate it... Like, I mean, really, like, if I could just, like, make a little mark that says, oh, yeah, grapple beam here, oh, yeah, speed boost here, then I'm, I'm not going to need to remember anything. And, this, yeah, there's a bit of a reliance on memory, but that rewards... That, that provides replayability. If I go back, I know that if I go back and start to play the game now or tomorrow or over the weekend, I'll remember a bunch of stuff so it'll be easier, but there'll still be a couple things where I'm like, ah, crap, like, what do I do here? What do I do here? So it rewards repetition. I don't know. I, I just, I love the way that, I think that there is difficulty within the functionality limitations of the game that holds up. And I think it's okay where there's something missing it, it creates something else that works. And that's why I just think it's like the perfect game. It's like for any flaw you find, there's something really good about the game. Maybe they couldn't do voice acting in the game because of the technology at the time. Well, you're going to feel a lot more isolated if there are no voices. You know what I'm saying? So I, 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 uh, I get what you're saying, but 
with a I asterisk it. Yeah, no, I understand, and we can agree to disagree on that. Like I, I shut up. I th- I just think that the map. I'm not going to shut up. I got a lot to say. <laughs> I I'm just like I don't like I'm not going to concede that the map is is great because I just don't think it is. I but I think it is the it was the best map that was available in a game up to that point. It's pink, and pink is the color of girls, and Samus is a girl, so hashtag feminism, hashtag, yeah. Ergo, ergo. Yeah. Right, sure. Um, we need to at least mention the music, because the music... You did. Because the, no, no, I mean, like, and actually have a conversation about it. Oh. There's, there's what, eight tracks in the game, basically? Uh, maybe, maybe, like, ten. So you basically have a track for, for each of the areas that you can go to, and then there's, like, a boss music track, and then I think there was probably a Mother Brain track that I don't really remember. Uh, and then like an escaping track at the end of the game. So there's like, there's, mm-hmm. there's not a ton of tracks in the game, uh, but, but what is there is phenomenal. It is very, very good. And it's ambient in a way, because there are some of these areas that you're in for a very long time. You are in Meridia for a long time when you go there and it doesn't, it doesn't ever feel old. It never felt old. The music never felt like it was, it got in the way of anything and it was always very fitting and it's i could i would listen to the music from this game on its own easily mm-hmm. so it's i think it's at least worth mentioning that the soundtrack is great yeah i have nothing to add to that the composer the lead composer was kenji yamamoto and did a lot of games from the time also did later metroid games that's all i got yeah perfect so and then my, the last point that i have and i um we spent a bit of time on this is I really like in this game how each of the areas feels so distinctly different in terms of obviously the the visual style right but also kind of the themes in each area of of what you're going to be doing so my like I'll give you an example Brinstar has a lot of pits with spikes a lot of them it's a mm-hmm. it's a thorny plant like area. It's very green. It's kind of like mossy, mossy looking. But you know you're going to be getting into a lot of like platforming, jumping in it, right? Because that's like that's just that's the theme of of Brinstar. You get to Norfair, and Norfair has some really strong enemies that you have to kill. There's a little less platforming. There's a lot of kind of timed stuff that happens in Norfair when it comes to like lava moving around and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Especially in lower Norfair because it's, it's kind of split into upper and lower Norfair. Right, when you, once you reach where Ridley's at. Meridia feels like a completely different game when you get there. Up to this point, you've been like finding secrets every once in a while here or there. Meridia is all bombing fake walls. It's it's everywhere in Meridia because that's where you really start to utilize your power bombs. I think that's what I'm thinking is the reason why. Um, and so, even to progress in Meridia, you have to find multiple secret passages all over the place, which was never the case anywhere else in the game. So Meridia felt like a completely different game to me, and the connection of the areas in Meridia feels like a, a, a maze. It felt so maze-like compared to any other part of the game to me. It plays more like a more like a puzzle platformer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that like that was totally different. You get to the to the ruined space pirate ship, and it's like a you're in like a horror game, right? Because there's there's like robots running around that are that like animate after the the power comes on. You fight a ghost. You fight Fanto. 
who's a very difficult fight, who and you have it saved for 20 minutes getting up to him. I died the first time I played. I uh, fought against Fantor. Fantor? Fanto, yeah, something. He's tough, though. Yeah, You're right. I died the first time I lost 20 minutes of progress. I'm like, man, they don't do this in games anymore. This kind of sucks. But but I like I took that in stride, obviously, and went back and, and played. But it's like it's there's like these weird plasma things that are like drifting through the walls to, to kill you in in the space pirate ship. So each area was was so different and felt they were just super cool to explore for a variety of reasons, and I loved that. Yeah, and I would say that lower Norfair also did the whole secret thing i mean i think you power bomb a lot but similar to meridia i felt in norfair everything was i mean you couldn't go anywhere literally every room was some kind of fake wall or some kind of power bomb so i I felt that way about meridia as well but less in a puzzle aspect more in a just which explosion do i need to get through this yeah and you've and you've acquired this the screw attack at that point too so that's that's also just tearing through anything that it that has the ability to be broken as well so um, yeah, you feel really powerful, which is nice because then they balance that with a not a tough boss fight because Ridley's not Ridley wasn't tough, hard at all in this game. But you do have to pump him full of everything you've got, really. Yeah, I mean, at, at that the harder bosses I were earlier in the game. Fan Fantor being probably the hardest for me in the game. The rest was pretty easy for the most part. Um, yeah. A last thing I'll say that I have to say and talk about is something that I had problems with in the game. And if there's anything that keeps the game from being the perfect game to me, it's uh, it's the controls of the game. The game was, the controls were way, way stiffer than I remember. And there were many times where Samus didn't do the thing that I wanted her to do. And platforming controls, and the, the frustrating part was I was thinking about it, and platforming controls, they had they had already been perfected up to this point. You had you had Mario that moved a very specific way. You had Mega Man that moved a very specific way. Like, it, it had been done already. So I didn't really understand why there were times where I would jump and sometimes I would do a, uh, a spinning jump that I would need to do a wall jump and sometimes I'd just jump straight up and I'd need to go back down and jump again. Like, there, there, were, times where, there were times where that happened. There were times where I would try to do, to jump with the screw attack um, or with the, Screw jump, screw whatever it is. The space space jump, jump is what they call sure. the infinite jump. So there were times, there were times where I would try to jump with the infinite jump, and I would just fall. I would just fall in the room, and the infinite jump would just stop working, right? So there were, and there were times where like Samus wouldn't turn correctly, like wouldn't turn fast enough or in a way that I had intended her to in the game, and so I would get hit by something. I don't think it ever caused any deaths or anything i don't think it caused ever a loss of progress but there was there was a a good amount of time wasted in some of the rooms um or or wall jumping if there are areas where you have to wall jump if you're going to make a game where you have to wall jump and again this is an this is an older game and it has since been perfected since then but you had Mega Man x right Mega Man x to me is the gold standard for a wall jump you kind of slide down the wall. If you stay just sliding down the wall, you're eventually going to fall to the bottom. So you have to actually do something, but you have as much time as you want to jump from wall to wall. Whereas it doesn't have to be like a specific set of pixels that you do your jump on. In a specific way, if you don't if you don't hit exactly back on your wall jump in this game, if you hit like slightly back and down or slightly back and up, your wall jump will not go off. 
And so there were plenty of times where I would be doing like a wall jump and I got better at it like you normally do in games. I got better at it as the game went on. But there were plenty of times where I was doing wall jumps and I would fall down for what felt like not my fault in terms of execution. It just felt like it was a, it was a too finicky of an ability to use. So I'll concede that. Yeah, if there was I'll concede the yeah. If there was anything I had a problem with that was it was the controls of the game. The jumping is odd, I will say. And there were there were times when I would agree with you. I think there there is a sweet spot. I I, th- I think it's consistent and not buggy, but the consistency is odd. It, and it is it's almost frame perfect is I think the the problem. Yeah, I think I think that every time that I jumped vertically when I meant to do a spinning jump, I'm sure it's because I hit the jump button like a millisecond before I started hitting the control pad forward or something. Mm-hmm. But it shouldn't... It ended up making it a less enjoyable experience because of that. Yeah, the controls are too nuanced. Maybe, yeah. It's like there's 18 different variations on how to do the screw attack and not like two. Yeah. Like and if I push forward and jump, I should be doing And by this. the end of the game, I never understood why there were times where I was using the space jump to get through a large room and I just fell to the bottom of the ground of the floor. I never understood why that happened. Um, I couldn't like replicate it consistently and I couldn't figure out how to fix it. So I just it just ended up me getting over the game and being like, well, that was just like a thing that I had to deal with. And sometimes I had to go back to the start of a room and like, and start over again. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's a, it's a problem. Um, and kind of a minor problem, but I think it's, I think it's a, a legitimate problem with the game. I do. Um, and I think it makes it less easy to play. So I would just say that's, if there was anything that would cause this game not to be like a perfect game for me, it would be it would be that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, that said, I I cannot think of a game that uh, is is it's just perfect. It's just I mean, even with uh, okay, like anything's gonna have a slight flaw or maybe something you don't like or whatever. Controls notwithstanding. Th- there was never a point where I was like, oh, I have to jump a second time. Like this is, it never, it never affected me on that level. Like when I think about it, when you say that, I'm like, yeah, there were a ton of times when I would jump and it didn't go the right way, but I just jump again. Yeah. And so to me, it was like really so minor that I just, I just, um, I mean, the game came out 24 years ago. That's a really long time. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the games that we've been playing have, it came out that long ago. Yeah, but for it to hold up this well, like if this were available on Steam and I bought it on Steam and I played through it, I would be like, wow. I'd be like blown away. Yeah, I said that I said that Yoshi's Island might be the best the best game that we play on the SNES Classic. And I think I still might stick by that. I think in terms of a platformer, it's a better platformer. But Super Metroid was a was a more important game, for sure. Um and I, I don't think you can really deny that. Super Metroid had far more of a lasting impact on video games to come after it than, than Yoshi's Island did. For sure. I, I would agree with that as well. I think that, as you said in our last episode when we talked about it, the controls are ex- insanely tight in Yoshi's Island, yeah. and it offers a lot. But it's kind of apples and oranges, too. Yeah. I mean, you can't say one's better than the other. Right, yeah, think. and that's definitely not what I'm saying. Um, the other thing that I really appreciate about this game, um, if, you, if you are at all interested in speedruns, there's a billion of them of this game. It it's, I, it's, it's could be the most speedrun game that's out there. 
I think that there's a possibility it, that it is. It might be. It kind of kicked off. It was one of the first really constantly speedrun games as well. And I, and the, the interesting thing to me is like, I, I thought about this while I was playing because I'm like, maybe other games you think, well, I can beat this faster because it's, it's a low bar or I know how to optimize this route or whatever. But even just beating Super Metroid at my own pace, I just wanted to replay it again faster. It just, it like naturally lent itself to, oh, now that I know this, oh, I wish I had known that. Oh, I want to go back and do it more efficiently. There's this weird kind of obsessive compulsive impulse that I have to just optimize it. And that's that's what speedrunning is, right? I actually wasn't interested in really talking about the speedrunner of it. I just wanted to bring that up to talk about one of the cool things about this game that they never tell you. Like, they never explain it to you anywhere in the game. But you can you can break the hell out of this game in terms of the sequence of events. And you do it basically strictly through wall jumping. But wall jumping opens up with some of the some of the places that you can use wall jumps opens up places that you can then access before you you ever have any business of accessing them. And it can really create a completely different path through the game. And I would never have known about them except for watching speedrunning. But it's worth taking a look at because if you ever want to just try this game in a different way, when you get somewhere, first of all, perfect the wall jump as best as you can. And then when you get to somewhere where you find a place that you feel like you shouldn't be able to get to yet try wall jumping up, up there because there's a there's a good chance that you can make it there and if you can make it there you can possibly do the game out of order and it seems like it might be kind of a fun way to try the game i did consider that for the speed run but decided not to i also want to make a quick comparison between this and castlevania symphony of the night which is my fave well god we've got a let's play of me from a vhs tape that i made from like playing that game. I was like pretty much obsessed with, with that game. And you want to talk about broken games? Oh my God. That game is horribly broken. Sure. Like pretty much the same way. Um, and I think Super Metroid is better balanced, honestly. Like it's, it's better than Symphony of the Night, which is one of my favorite games. Yeah, they're, Sy- Symphony did so much more. It's tough to, to compare the two. But I, I, think it's, I think it's definitely enough to say Super Metroid is is a great, great game. One of the best games that's on the SNES Classic, for sure. And um, totally still holds up, totally still worth playing. And just to reiterate one more time, I, the, the what Super Metroid, what it, what it caused in, what came after it in this particular genre of game is it can, all it can owe itself to is Super Metroid. Like, yeah. This is the game that kicked off a thousand Metroidvanias. And there are many that are very good, and there are many, I'm sure, that are not very good. But it's it's crazy that Super Metroid still holds up as well as it does as one of these games. Yeah. Next, I want to try one of the ROM hacks. There's a bunch of ROM hacks. I'm sure there are. I'm sure and there some are. Have even, some have mastered the physics of the game as well, so maybe you would enjoy one of those. Weird, thi- weird thing, I think Metroid games don't sell very well, actually. No, generally they don't. Yeah, which is super weird, because I, I've always... I've always thought that I had kind of like a mainstream taste in games in terms of the games that I've liked. But um, Metroid is like it's legitimately one of my favorite series. It really is. And it just surprises me that it doesn't it doesn't sell that well. Yeah. 
I agree, and I'm very sad about it. The games are so well made. They really are. And Metroid Prime was... Man, Metroid Prime was something. Metroid Prime is one of your favorite games ever. Yeah, it was something, yeah. And it's like Super Metroid if it were 3D. Yep. Yeah, it really is. Like, but a really... I mean, like exactly that. But Yeah. yeah, totally, totally... Yeah, very good. Um, I agree with you. Uh, I I think it's one of the best games ever made, um, and I think it's going to be held hold. I think it's going to hold up, and people will play it for for decades to come. But I I do think that it's just one of the best games, top to bottom, cinematic elements, atmospheric elements, gameplay elements, jumping notwithstanding, replay elements, all of it, all of it. It's just like it's the perfect package for me. So, that said, I have trivia. Yeah, that moment at the end where you get the hyper beam after the, the Metroid, oh, man, yeah. that is such that is such an incredible, and you just destroy Mother Brain with it. It is just so badass. And that's, that's a complaint I could have, is that the ending is not hard enough. Cause no, it's not challenging at all. Difficult boss battles are a hallmark of a lot of Super Nintendo era games, and after that, even today, I mean, forever, it's been a thing. But... Once you do hit Torian, it's all storytelling. I mean, those Metroids fly at you, and they are terrifying. Sure. The way they're animated, the way they're pulsating, their speed, their acceleration. Like, you don't want it. Like, one of the Metroids actually got to me before I froze it, and I kind of freaked out a little bit. And if you paid attention to the story, there aren't supposed to be any more Metroids, right? The last mm-hmm. Metroid was there on the planet and was, and was kidnapped. So it was also like, a, where did these Metroids come from? Exactly, well. exactly. But then, like you said, and then the, the Mother Brain chamber is difficult, but as you said, once you get that hyper beam, it's like, it doesn't, it's so well done, it doesn't matter that the end boss is kind of a, a bit of a pushover because you're so invested and it's just it's just so good. Like you look at it and you're like, I don't even care what is happening. It's just so good. I was so. also I also read an article on this and it said one of the interesting things about it, like if you step back and think about it, the first thing you see when you turn on the game is a a a dead body covered in blood and then that Metroid cell broken open with nothing inside of it. So that's what's in the lab when you, when it does that slow pan across the lab, and it's like, this is a game that was published by Nintendo. Nintendo wasn't wasn't into blood. I mean, that's not yeah. this was not a Nintendo thing. I mean, this was a this was a a weird game for Nintendo to publish. It really was. It was so outside of anything they, all of their other colorful stuff that they generally did. I mean, Yoshi's Island was a year later, also published by Nintendo in '95, and the game is is literally a pastel palette of colors. We talked about that on that episode. And I found some fun trivia in this. This isn't one of the questions, but in early development of Super Metroid, they had to redraw a bunch of the characters because the original monsters and enemies that you fought were too cute and players didn't want to kill them. Oh, that's adorable. So Nintendo had to make them more ugly so that you would shoot them. It's pretty ugly. Did you save the animals? Of course I did. I did too. Yeah, of course I did. But during speedruns, hell no. No, during speedruns, no, but I'm not a monster. Yeah. If you don't get that, go watch Awesome Games Done Quick like we talk about every year. All right, uh, and watch the Metroid speedrun races. They're phenomenal. My favorite thing is that there'll be four players split screen, and they'll be within a screen of each other 40 minutes into the speedrun. They're they're so consistent, it's outrageous. Um, So yeah, search for AGTQ or SGTQ. Super Metroid speedruns. I'll try and link to a couple in the show notes if you want to check those. 
So I have four trivia questions for you. Are you ready? I am excited. So it's kind of a softball-ish. What popular video game series features a cameo by Crocomire's skull in one of their Game Boy Advance titles? It's a popular mm. video game series. You don't have to name the game. I've seen that skull. It's a cameo. In Game Boy Advance? Yep. I don't know. I'm going to say... Uh, I'm going to say Pokemon. That doesn't make any sense. No, they're po- both published by Nintendo. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'll give you a hint. It's not published by Nintendo. Castlevania. Yes. It was in Castlevania Harmony of Dissonance. There's like a bone room, and uh, yeah, you climb on Crocomire's skull. Well, that's kind of cool. Homage to the franchise, I'm sure. All right. Uh, and I will say that none of the Metroid games after Super Metroid have done as good of a job with the atmosphere. None of the 2D, like the Metroid Fusion games, like they don't. They're good. Yeah, they I mean, are good. They're like tutorial walkthroughs. For me, right, Metroid Fusion had way too much talking with the yeah. computer and, and the computer in it. Like, I just, it was so not what I was looking for with the Metroid game. It was a good game, though. Yeah, no, Metroid Prime is the best experience. Um, speaking of that, the Metroid franchise saw a pretty long drought after Super Metroid was released. It was originally intended to be the final game in the series. How many years was it before another game in the Metroid series was released? I think it was six. Eight. It was eight. So it was 2002? Was Metroid Fusion? Because uh, no, Metroid, uh, Fu- Metroid Fusion and Metroid Prime released uh, at the, on the same day. That was the big, like, crazy thing that they did. Yeah, it was. Uh, and also, by the way, I found this little tidbit. During the series hiatus, fans eagerly awaited a Metroid game for the Nintendo 64. Sakamoto considered creating an N64 title, but wasn't interested in being part of its development mainly because he didn't understand the console's controller it was a bad controller which i thought you would like because you always say it's a bad controller it's a bad controller yeah um so yeah metroid fusion i do remember that metroid fusion and prime came out the same day or whatever uh okay where are my where do my notes go uh here we go uh although the metroid series is based on alien and the character of samus aaron was inspired by that movie's Hero, played by Sigourney Weaver, Samus's human look was based on a different actress. Do you know which actress it was? And so I can give you a hint if you need one. Blonde-haired chick with a ponytail from the 90s. It would be from the 80s. Who was the chick that played uh, Sarah Connor in Terminator 2? Not Sarah Connor. I'll give you a hint. It was based on this actress's look at the time when she starred in Nine and a Half Weeks and My Stepmother is an Alien. Mm, I don't know enough 80s pop culture so you'll have to you'll have to just give me the answer on this kim basinger okay basinger yeah okay. skip then we'll just move on all right and finally fans have given names to nearly every so let me say that again so it sounds better fans have given names to nearly every room in super metroid really in part in part to make it easier to discuss speed run strategies Funny. Uh, I, I uh, came across this one. I learned about the noob bridge. There is no way that I'm going to get the answer to this question, but I'm, I'm excited to hear what the question is. <laughs> so which of the following is not a room name used by speedrunners? Wait, before you ask this question, what is the noob bridge? In Brinstar, very early in the game, there is a bridge with rocks that disappear when you run across it, and you have to dash with the A button to get across yeah. it. And they call it the noob bridge because newer players that never use the dash button don't realize that they need to dash dash across it. So they just, I remember when we were little, I remember when I borrowed this game from you, 
I legitimately could not figure out how to get it across that bridge. So I was a noob in the new bridge. Okay. When I was gotcha. like 10. So, so which one is not a, a room? So name. which of the following is not a room name, according to the speedrunners? Is it A, Bat Cave, B, the worst room in the game? <laughs> That's got to be real. C, Green Hill Zone, or D, Jamaican Me Crazy? Jamaican Me Crazy. So the bat cave, there are plenty of bats, bat-like creatures in the game. I feel like that that's a that that's a an actual one. The worst room in the game has got to be a real one. Has to be a real one. Um, gosh, Green Hill Zone. With I'm I'm gonna go with Jamaican Me Crazy. Uh, you are correct. Okay, I made up Jamaican Me Crazy. <laughs> but. I could totally, I could totally hear. So, which room is the worst room in the game? The worst room in the game is a game in, is a room in Lower Norfair. Um, maybe I'll even, uh, maybe I'll even like link pull to this it. up on pull this up. I'll, I'll link to it, but uh, it's a it's a very vertical screen here. Let me screen share for the YouTube people. Uh, we'll just share this. You see that there? Okay. Yeah, so that that's it. Um, I've got it. I do remember down. that room. Yeah, yeah, right. So it's. I think I don't know if you start at the top or the bottom, but yeah. And I'll scroll down, and yeah, it's. I probably because it's a pain for speedrunners for some reason. Must be, yeah. Because I think you have to freeze things to get up it or whatever. But I don't know. But uh, it's. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's. That's what it is. So that's the awesome. worst room in the game. Awesome. Uh, and that's our, our Super Metroid trivia. Well, I, I was super, 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 super pumped about that game. And soon we will unveil what game we are playing next week or next time. Next, I think next time we're doing uh, uh, what are the we doing? The plan for next time is to do Earthbound. That was always the plan. But I don't know if you're going to be done with it by then. Uh that's the danger there. Oh yeah, no, we'll be done. I'll be done with it in a couple of weeks, I think. Um, so uh, I was just checking Twitter to see who has um, who has tweeted suggestions at us. Um, so we will be doing Earthbound in a couple of weeks. FYI, my wife is out of the country for the next two weeks, so I am solo bachelor pad guy. I get like this weird anxiety, like I get really anxious, and I hate playing single player video games for long periods of time when she's out of town. It just, I just like feel really isolated. It's just mm-hmm. like really bad. So to fix that, I will be streaming a lot of Earthbound. I'll be streaming as much of the game as possible because I feel less lonely when I stream. It's like a weird just being home alone too much kind of thing. And uh, I have friends. I have friends. Jesus, I'm not depressed. But uh, I, I, I'm just saying like um, – for me, it'll be more fun to stream anyway. So just keep an eye on the Twitch channel for Game Life Balance. It's just twitch.tv slash Game Life Balance. And evenings for the next two weeks, I'll be streaming it a ton. I am totally going to watch you. Saying stupid things and, yeah, just make dumb comments and, and whatever. So that'll I kinda, be Earthbound. I'm kind of excited to see your reactions to the first time you play that game. Yeah, me too. So, you know, I'll probably drink a lot of whiskey, even though that's not allowed on Twitch. But you won't know. You won't know. It's, it's brown water. It's kind of gross. It's raw water. You bought $25 raw water. Exactly. Hold on. I'm grabbing a, I'm a thing. Um, and uh, we'll do the life stuff segment, the kind of life part of the Game Life Balance podcast in a second. But before that, just so you know, that there only I forgot to tweet to let people know to nominate games until this afternoon. So we only have two suggestions, okay. two nominations this week. Do you know what they are? I don't. One is F-Zero. Okay. 
You know, I've never on... seen the credits of that game, so I don't know how that's going to go for me. Dude, don't, I don't, oh God. Um, F-Zero, and then the other is uh, S- Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Oh, sweet. Dude, I, I have, I'm excited to play, to play through that game again. I owned that game as a kid. I really liked it. I really liked it a lot. Um, and I, I generally don't like fighting games at all, but just playing against the computer in that game, whatever, was fun. I had a lot of fun with that game. Yeah, no, it's good. So, um, uh, but yeah, we'll do that uh, to wrap up the episode. But what have you been up to? What What is your life? You asked me about my hair before this episode started. And you're like, yeah, you have like a lion's mane. Like, it's what is crazier than I know, mine? Like, what is on your hair? It's got a lot of hair. I've got a lot of hair right now. Um, and I have a lot of hair because I'm going to be chopping it off next weekend. And I'm going to be chopping it off uh, because at the start of about two months ago, my uh, my mother-in-law was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I was not growing my hair out at this time at all, but um, she was she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and uh, she she started on chemo. They did the operation, you know, to remove the to remove the breast cancer, and she just started on chemo. And um, we're gonna have a hair shaving party because one of the things about chemo is that it makes you lose your hair, right? So yeah. we are going to, as a family, like a large family, we're going to get together next weekend. And a bunch of us are going to shave our heads. And when it was first, when we first sent out the invitations, I felt like it was kind of unfair because the only three people that like signed up initially were me, my brother-in-law, Ben, who has relatively short hair as it is. I mean, he actually used to buzz his hair. Um, He has a little more hair now, but not much. Um, And Casey's grandpa, who is already bald. So I kind of felt... I kind of felt like I was getting the raw end of the deal on this, uh, but you know, I, there are going to be more people that do it as well. So I'm, it's it's for a good reason. I'm kind of excited to to do it. And once we decided to do that, I was just like, well, I'm just going to let it go for as long as as long as it is, uh, as long as it can. So yeah, that's for a very good reason. That's why it's that's why it's long. Um, you know, we've been dealing with that as a family, and that's a tough thing. And it um, it's actually going well. That's going. Things are good. Nice with it. So that is that is good. good. I'm glad that yeah the, the hopeful prognosis. Cancer is, sucks. Yeah, it sucks. It's a hell of a thing. It really sucks. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, good for you for doing what you can. Yeah, it's a good keep people in good spirits, right? That's it's a big part of it. Good causes are good. I kind I I kind of like the hair. I'm not gonna lie. I don't usually like anything attached to your face, but uh, <clears throat> I'll get used to it. I mean, it can grow back, right? It can. It's it's just hair. Much like the hands of time, so are the sands. Yeah, what, a, what about you? So you are a bachelor for two weeks. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of video games and drinking whiskey. There was some Buffalo Trace on sale when I was in Rockford last weekend. I assume that that's a whiskey that I don't know about. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's a bourbon. Okay. I'm a bourbon where'd your, guy. Where'd your wife go? Uh, she's in. Uh, she's she does an annual pilgrimage to a Spanish-speaking land to immerse herself because she speaks well she teaches spanish and it's good to be immersed in spanish if you're teaching it because it's a pretty good excuse to practice so she's in argentina yeah. uh right now and uh yeah she'll be back in a bit does she, does she when she goes down there does she like set up an itinerary for herself um or does she just say i'm going to go she's probably been down there for enough times where she just can be immersed in the culture and feel probably at ease right yeah no she, she usually goes places with archival work because she's a professor and she likes to write research papers and do archival work yeah. so she'll she'll pick cities based on where is there a great library where i can get a bunch of archival 
documents that I can't get anywhere else. And right. so she knows the one there. She's been to Colombia before, uh, stayed in uh, Bogota and went to Madrid one year. So usually she just kind of pop off to a place and kind of stick her head down and do that. But also, you know, do the coffee shop and culture thing and go out and meet of people course. and stuff. So, yeah, it's good for her. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, it gives it makes me feel less bad about leaving town for Martin Con and Gen Con. So it's like, oh, cool. You can leave for like most of a month. I get two weekends a year where I can just kind of pop off and buy. And uh, yeah, and really, and really, you're immersing yourself in a culture during those things as well. I so it's certainly just, it, am. It, it is. It is a different culture uh, than than the culture in which we both live our normal lives. So, uh, yeah, that is absolutely correct. Yeah, and and actually, you kind of speak a different language when you're there too. That's terrifying. Really, correct. it's like this. Yeah, really, it's like the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, I break it. I break my travel into two different tinier pilgrimages and then yeah she just is the, the one big one which is more expensive yeah. than mine because mine are just at my friends houses yeah, and um, I saw Black Panther we've discussed this at length on text messaging so I we shouldn't rehash it but it was it, it was a Marvel movie and we both enjoyed it I think generally yeah I told I said that it was my favorite Marvel movie I've seen yeah and I've seen quite did, a few of them did you see Civil War that's like the one that I haven't seen oh God. it's it's oh, been it's been in my Netflix queue for months and I've just never sat down and watched it. I mean now you get now it's gonna, now you're not going to like it because it's going to be overhyped. But I no, found No, I don't think so. I don't think so because Black Black Panther was hyped up pretty high. Yeah, okay, that's fair. And I thought it lived up to the hype. Yeah, you so. you enjoyed some of the nuance in the storytelling and to me Civil War does an exceptional job of nuanced storytelling where you're kind of like okay, well it's not just a cut and dry you know, light side, dark side, bad guy, good guy dichotomy. There's, and it, it tackles some political issues or vaguely political there aren't, issues. There aren't good Marvel villains. Like, there aren't Marvel villains with with complex, like, deeply written motives. So when one comes along with even just a little hint of one, like, it, it gives me more respect for for the movie or the story in which they're telling. That's how I feel about Marvel villains. Yeah. Well, I found through our conversation with our friends over text that we all have very different criteria for good movies. So maybe you'll see the villain and you'll be like, this is dumb. I get it. It's predictable. Or maybe like me, you'll you'll appreciate it, especially in the pantheon of Marvel films for being a bit more um, nuanced. Yeah. So, yeah, there's that. I hope so. But yeah, I, I, maybe I'll watch that this weekend. I'm by myself tomorrow night because uh, I'm, I'm babysitting and... and Casey's away. Uh, also, I'm not babysitting. I'm with Max, and Casey is babysitting. Uh, so maybe I'll watch it tomorrow night. Boys night. When he's in bed. Yeah, he'll be asleep. Oh, that's <laughs> fair. Um, and you're playing Final Fantasy V right now. I am. I am. Holy crap! Final Fantasy V. So okay. You love that game too much. I will. I mean, for, for context, for context, I've only played Final Fantasy V the past like three times that I've tried it uh, in. The Four Job Fiesta, which is a fundraising event that happens over the summer that I play with our buddy Max. That's the only time I've played it. And there's very specific criteria to play that game in the Four Job Fiesta. Out of the 20 job classes, there are four that you are given that you can use. And you can pay money to change them. But I've only ever played with four job classes these past couple of times that I've played. I've only played through that game just like generally 
in a normal playthrough a single time. And I remember really liking it. The Forge Up Fiesta can be slightly frustrating because if you don't get certain classes, it's very difficult. But when playing through the game as just like your average game that I can do and play however I want, that game is so good. Final Fantasy V is the best first Final Fantasy game. I think that is where... I think that is where the series has its has its roots. Finds its in voice. Terms, yep. I don't think that four. I think four. After playing it again, which I just did, um, it is still very shallow. Um, and then, and it doesn't have interesting gameplay mechanics. No, everything at all. Like it is all completely scripted in a way. Like it is a. It is the most linear story that you can tell. Right. Final Fantasy V, the gameplay mechanics are still deep and fascinating with the way that that job system works. So I think it is really where that series launched off to be a combination of both a really like fun, good, albeit pretty cheesy story, married with some sort of really interesting party building mechanics. Well, you need to get caught up on your retrospective reviews. I do. Oh, it's so good. It's it's really good. It's a really good game. Play Final Fantasy V. It's a really good game. Yeah, and that's why after Earthbound, we're, instead of voting for Secret of Mana or Final Fantasy VI, we're just going to do Final Fantasy VI next, because then John can just keep in his order. It's perfect timing. Yep, absolutely. And I mean, I'll probably start playing Final Fantasy VI pretty soon, but our review for that will be in like a month or two. Yeah. So it should still line up fine. That one I may blaze through, because... I may... You've played through it a billion times, right? Also, I may try to speedrun it. Oh, that would be super interesting. Because I just played through Final Fantasy VI, a ROM hack. Remember, what was it called? I do. You've got a review of There's that. A, we, we, it's, it's on our website. If you look on Game Life Balance, um, the GameLifeBalance.us for a Final Fantasy VI review, I reviewed a ROM hack that was really good. and But it, was, it involved some grinding. So I basically feel like I kind of somewhat recently played through Final Fantasy VI, but in a really grindy right. way. So I want to kind of, I might just try and speedrun it. I don't know. And that's and that's interesting. And actually, if you do that, we'll we'll have a good uh, a good set of perspectives because my plan is to do a like a one hundred percent run of that game because I haven't done one in a very 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 long time. Oh, man. So and there's so much there's so much in that game in the world of Ruin um, to do. So it's going to take me a while. Yeah. We'll see. All right, we have to decide what game we're playing next week. I should get a die. No, I have you a need coin a for time. You've got a coin. Oh, wait, it's all we There's need. There's only two. Uh, also, Heads. I've been playing Stellaris. Do you play Stellaris? I don't. Okay, I bought I bought a copy for Rob for Christmas or something from Game Life Balance it's Australia. A f- it's a four X game. Yeah, right? I, well, I thought it was like Civilization in space, but different. But it's it's real time. But you can. It's you change this. It's made by P. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's made by it's made by people. It's made by the people that did Europa Universalis, right? I don't know, but you you change the speeds yeah. of the game, but it's real time. But then you pause it basically anytime anything happens. There's a lot. It's the learning curve is stupid. Like it's absolutely. I, so I I got like probably seven hours into a game. I don't know how to win the game. I don't like. I don't know. Not just like how to achieve the objectives I need to achieve. I don't know what the winning conditions are. I don't know how to beat the game. I, I just, like, have been building a civilization, kind of, and then getting attacked by pirates that kill me a lot. Like, I'm really bad at it. So I hope that mm-hmm. Rob is having a better time than me. Maybe we can do a joint review or something on a Game Life Balance Guide. And I don't know what is going on, but, like, 
it's fun and the music is great and I like a lot about it, but I'm also kind of like, I don't know what's going on. So I just gave up like halfway into a game. I'm going to return to it after watching some YouTube tutorial videos. But like, I, I try to imagine, I'm like, what if my first civilization game was civilization six? Like, would it be this steep of a learning curve? Cause I've been playing Civ yeah. since Civ two. Right. So like, I've known the basic tenets. The answer to that question is no, because my first Civ was Civ Five, and it wasn't that hard. No, not at all. Okay, then I also I also am a huge board gamer, though, right? So I guess that translates so much into those types of games. I'm enough of that a maybe, board gamer, though. Yeah, yeah, you are. I would think that some of that would translate too. Yeah. Must be a completely different kind of game. It's it's different, but I like it anyway. So all right, well, I'm gonna point the camera towards my. My um, and here we go. This is great. Okay, so so uh, he- so wait. Uh, ta- so cars have fire coming out of the back. Right. So, so tails. So we've, uh, this is a Hearthstone coin. Okay. Uh, so it's got the one on one side. And, uh, oops, that's upside down. So it's got the one on one side, and that will be for F Zero since that was the first game nominated. And okay. then the yeah, weird a, hexagonal umbrella thing will be. Super Street Fighter Two or Street Fighter Two Turbo, and then do I do I f- I have to flip it like on the? Hold on, let's. Try. <laughs> I gotta. You're supposed to catch, and then do you? F- no, you catch. No, you catch in your hand. You oh. flip and you catch in your hand, and then you flip. Uh, how do you not know how to flip? I, a I coin? don't know. All right, hold on. I flip it, s- caught it, and then and then you flip it on. Yeah, there you go. And it is F zero. It's F zero. So. Damn it. Damn it, Ryan Dombrowski. I may make him review it with us. So the next game that we'll review is Earthbound. And then the following game after that will be F-Zero. F-Zero. More like zero out of ten stars, am I right? Again, our goal on all of our SNES Classic games and reviews is to see credits. So we will we will do our best to see credits on F-Zero. Again, I've never done it. And I owned that game, too. And I... I have never uh, completed that game. <sighs> so, all right. Well, I apologize, listener. We went a little long. Uh, we got like stuff to wrap up. Um, Gunna Geek Network. Hey, we're part of it at GunnaGeek.com. Game I found in Australia was just accepted in the Gunna Geek Network, so that tells you their uh, their standards. <laughs> anyway, on better podcasting, they're really terrible. Epi- on better podcasting, episode one hundred twenty one. It's called How to Guest on a Podcast. Uh, hint, guest on Game My Felons Australia. They are desperate for American voices. I, if you're considering being a guest <laughs> on a podcast, this episode is for you. Hence why it's called How to Guest on a Podcast. Steven and Stargate Pioneer run down some best practices to help you prepare for your appearance. Check out this and other podcast-related topics in this week's Better Podcasting. And on... Uh, what else? What are other shows? How about just one more fix? On just uh, no, I'm not supposed to read that. Um, let's do this. Gallifrey Public Radio. We all love Doctor Who. Episode 276, a classic rewatch of the Monster of Peladon. Our friend Alyssa of This Week in Time Travel joins the crew to rewatch the penultimate third Doctor story, complete with mining revolts, ghostly agadors, and our favorite hermaphroditic cephalopod. Every word in that makes me want to listen to it. Penultimate. Gosh, was- penultimate is a great word. It is a great word. Cephalopod's a pretty good Hermaphroditic word. cephalopod, I think. I mean, it's Hermaphr- just... That's a, that's, a, that's a tongue twister if there ever was one. Yeah. And yet I read it so uh, expertly. You read it perfectly. I'm, we're all impressed. Yeah, so that's, that's Gonna impressed. Geek Network. Check it out, gunnageek.com. We're, we're a podcast on it. 
and WGN, but John will tell you that. Yeah, I will. Uh, I would just like to say thank you for listening to the Game Life Balance US podcast, the American edition of the Game Life Balance podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe if you enjoyed this episode. Leave us a review if you really want to make our day. You can find us at the Gunna Geek Network at gunnageek.com or on wgnradio.com. Learn more about Game Life Balance, including contact information and links to our sister show in Australia at gamelifebalance.us. And if you really want to make our day, go to the Dinosaur Museum in Australia. I have heard amazing things. The best that I can do is to buy a sweatshirt from the Minnesota Field Museum with the, the purple sweatshirt uh, that Dustin wears in Stranger Things from the Minnesota Field Museum. I haven't watched Stranger Things. You're dead to me. Okay, that's fine. That's good. I was really hoping I could think of more jokes to make about our Australian friends, but I'm, I have nothing. I'm sorry, Rob you're gonna and shrimp. You're, you're going to say shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. This one time, I'm not going to say it. But you know it's coming. You know it's coming, blokes and governors. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>